Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, I am Pastor Bill Bull. I'm the associate pastor here, and I appreciate having the privilege once in a while to share with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that came to mind as I was preparing for this morning's message was simply the fact, uh, the reality, that this day, <clears throat> this day could be a day that literally would change the rest of your life. Uh, I'll admit it could be just another day. It could be just another Sunday, a Sunday like maybe any other Sunday. Or this could be a Sunday that would trigger such a change in your life that you would walk away from this sanctuary this morning and you would never be quite the same person ever again. And in fact, I have to tell you that I like that kind of approach for every single Sunday. Uh, I like to think that I can come in here on a Sunday morning and gather with you, with God's people, and take part in worshiping and listening to the message and know that my Heavenly Father is no doubt going to be speaking to me. And I don't know how, when that happens, we can ever walk away and be quite the same ever again. My prayer for you, my prayer for me this morning is that we will exit not just today, but this month of September, and we as an individual will not be quite the same ever again. And I would hope that we as a church would never ever be quite the same again. Why? Because I think, I believe that as we move into the month of October, we will have seen in these intervening weeks, and especially on the last Sunday of this month, we will have seen God work in the lives that we're going to be reaching out to on that last Sunday in September. I believe that we're going to realize that God has touched our lives And we'll also understand and comprehend that he's changed the life of our church because of what we've been involved in. These weeks, I believe, are going to be transforming weeks for all of us as individuals and as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would guide and direct our thoughts along that path that you desire each of us understand and comprehend and that you want us to follow. You know where each one of us is at in this journey through life. You know where you want to take us. And I pray that in these minutes ahead, you will speak to each of our hearts, mine included, Lord, and then help us be obedient. In your name we pray. Amen. A number of years ago, I was at a conference back in the Midwest, and one of the speakers that was present uh, was Pastor Jim Simbola, who's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. I had seen some of his material prior to that. I had read one or two of his books, and I remember that 
as we listened to him at this conference, he had a real impact on me, or I should say that God had an impact on me through him. And uh, <clears throat> since that time, I have read additional books. I have listened to some of his messages, and I've decided that, that uh, even though he isn't a Nazarene, he could be one. I think we'd let him in. And uh, if he ever wanted to join up, we'd say, sure, we'll send you to a membership class and see if we can't get you in. But <clears throat> I listened to a message uh, a while back that really stirred my heart. And I want to tell you that his message really formed the basis for much of what I'm sharing with you this morning because it had such an impact on me. And I thought about myself, I thought about you, and I thought about our church as I listened. I've reached the conclusion that uh, after watching people around our church over a good many years now, that uh, we can live Christian lives and yet not really make a difference. Uh, you can live a life where you're not really used by God to make a difference or to see his kingdom grow, to see new people one, one to the Lord. Uh, it's really easy and comfortable to just keep on keeping on. I listened to one pastor say that, well, I was probably all right. It may not be all that bad. But he also added, if you're that type of a Christian, that you're just going along with the flow and just kind of keeping on, keeping on, you'll never see the miracle-working power of God in your life. Did you catch that? <laughs> you can get by in this life just kind of drifting along, making sure you stay safe by doing all the right things and saying all the right things and being at the right places at the right time, but you'll never be witness to the miracle-working power of God in your life. And I thought, that's really sad. That's sad. Those of you who are here this morning, and those who may be listening to the podcast of this message right now, I want to tell you and assure you that God wants to use you to make a difference. Every single one of you. There's not a one of you that is excluded. God wants to use you to make a difference. I want to tell you that he wants to use you to make a difference in a world that is filled with hurting people. He wants to use you to feed the multitudes, as it were. And he wants to see you used by him to change lives that uh, are discouraged, downheartened, people who are downcast, people who are disadvantaged, uh, people who are really hurting. He wants to use you. Yes, he wants to use you to help bring about some change that will ultimately result in lives being transformed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ. If you're listening to me right now this morning, I'm telling you, God wants to use you. He does. I'm fearful that too many Christians go through life just seeing what is rather than what could be. And someone may be thinking right now, hey, 
I'm in church every Sunday. Well, almost every, every Sunday. <laughs> I pay my tithe, well, most of the time. And I, I always try to give when I can. I put something in the offering when it goes around. I tell the pastor. I'm always telling the pastor I like his messages. Well, I do. If we bump into each other, I, I tell him anyway. But don't start pushing me to try and get involved in stuff that I'm not good at. Please, leave me alone. I'm comfortable right where I'm at. I wonder, I wonder if a person that has that kind of a mindset has ever witnessed the miracle-working power of God in their lives. Uh, There's a story that we find in the four Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that deals with uh, Jesus feeding a crowd of people. Now, in fact, in Matthew, there are two accounts, and it's not the same one told twice. It's two different occasions. In one, he fed the 5,000. In one, he feeds 4,000. And I want us to look at that from a little bit different angle maybe this morning. But would you stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? They replied, Seven loaves and a few small fish. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Then Jesus sent the people home and he got into a boat and crossed over to the region of Magadan. You may be seated. As I look at these few verses that we, we read... I'm struck by the fact that Jesus said he felt sorry for those people in that crowd. He had compassion for them. Deep feelings were stirred in his heart and soul as he looked out over that crowd. And and I don't know how you would figure it, but I'm guessing there may have been as many as maybe 10,000 people in that crowd because they counted 4,000 men, and you add in women and children... And so it was a group probably approaching 10,000 people. We're not told that the disciples felt sorry or that the disciples had compassion for them. All, they, all the disciples seemed to be able to do was raise questions when they sensed that Jesus might be even thinking about trying to do something for these people. I mean, they were out in the middle of the wilderness They didn't have a Safeway store or Rosars or Albertsons. Uh, They couldn't make a run run for pizza or a deep-fried chicken. (laughs) They couldn't do it. They were far away from 
any market or any, any location where they could get food. And um, these guys, these 12, they were just being sensible. Uh, it would have it taken a couple of semi-trailer loads to get enough food to feed that crowd. And they just simply wanted to send the people off, let them go. They can do their own thing, get home on their own. And so all they did really was just raise a sensible question when Jesus began showing his compassion for this crowd of people. More than once, reading about Jesus and his disciples as they journeyed on this earth, I have wondered... I have wondered why those 12 men who followed the Master seem to be so thick-headed. On this particular occasion right here, they had been out there for three days, and they had spent three days witnessing Jesus perform one miracle after another. He had given blind people their sight. He had healed crippled people, put them back on their feet. He had healed illnesses, and we don't know what manner of other uh, situations he may have intervened in and healed people from. Uh, We can only guess at the miracles that may have taken place in those three days. And if that wasn't enough, like I mentioned, these disciples had already seen him feed a crowd of 5,000 men earlier. 5,000 men and all the women and children on that occasion. And they seem to have just forgotten that all so quickly. Send them home, Master. We can't take care of them way out here. We don't have enough food, not even close. And there are only 12 of us. How could we ever serve a crowd like this? We just can't do it. We just can't do it. I can hear him saying something just like that to Jesus. I wish there had been a line in Scripture right here, uh, where at least one of the disciples responds and says something like, hey, 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 I'm getting that feeling again, guys. I think we're going to see another miracle. Look at him. You can tell. He's thinking about it. It's happening again. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, we're going to see another miracle. But that's not in there. It doesn't happen. All they can see are the problems. I'm reminded again this morning... I thought of it when we were sharing in these worship songs. And I have thought about it over the last several weeks. That you and I are loved by and saved by and serve the very same Jesus that was out in the wilderness with that crowd and with those 12 disciples. Our Jesus is not a replica, He's not a copy, He's not an imitation. You and I are loved by the very same Jesus that was there on that hillside out of Galilee. The very same one. And I want to see Jesus do something in our church. I want to see Jesus do something in you and in me. And friends, I'm just afraid that there are too many Christians that are kind of like the Dead Sea. Good stuff goes in. A lot of it. Day after day, week after week. But nothing goes out. And I'm afraid we get so wrapped up in our own little world that we're going through that we just see what is and we don't see what could be. But there are several lessons that we can glean from this short account here in Matthew. First, each of us, 
Every single one of us needs to have a heart of compassion like Jesus had. Uh, We need to feel sorry for those around us. People around us who are struggling through life one desperate day after another. Oh, Lord, I want God to help me to be able to see those people, to recognize them. He sees them. Lord, help me see them. He hears them. I want the Lord to help me hear them. And without such compassion, you and I are just going to be like, I guess we could call us mechanical Christians. We're at the center of everything, not God. You and I can't minister effectively when we don't care about people. We can't. So I have to pray, God, help me to see people as you see them. Help me to feel what you feel, God. Yes. Friends, if you sincerely want to make a difference, it has to be on God's terms. Christ is not following us. We have to follow him. And it's the Holy Spirit that can put within our hearts and souls and reproduce within us a heart like that of God's. So we care about people. So we're concerned about them, genuinely concerned. And without it, people are just a problem to us. If you ask God to put compassion in your heart, he's going to do it. He will answer a prayer like that. Um, I heard one pastor say, we have too much churchianity today. (laughs) We need more Christianity and the kind of hearts that God wants us to have. Well, the second thing that we see in this brief account is a problem. Uh, I'm here to tell you that when God gives you a burden to do something, there will be a problem. It's going to happen, always. The disciples were being sensible. They realized they were far out in the wilderness. They weren't near any community or location where they might get food. And there were too many people, and the list just went on and on. Listen. When you ask God to give you a heart of compassion, and he does, and he then gives you a burden to become involved in someone's life, do you think that Satan is going to just sit back and cheer you on? (laughs) That won't happen. The disciples here in this account responded by saying, we don't have what it takes to feed all these people. Is that logical? Yes, Is it true? Yes. Is it right? No. Because God is a problem-solving God, whether it's in the wilderness near the shores of Galilee or here in the Lewis and Clark Valley, our God is a problem-solving God. And too often, too often, I'm afraid, we respond by saying we don't have enough money. We don't have the talent. We don't have the speaking ability. We don't know the Bible well enough. Uh, Some people were thinking that this morning, Pam, when you were up here talking about substitute teachers. (laughs) But some of us will come up with all kinds of reasons. And I would tell you, that's right. And yet it's wrong. It's not right in God's eyes. God may want you to do something for him, And you keep coming up with that 
same old tired excuse, I don't have enough. And you can fill in the blank. You just know that you're too old, you're too young, you're too inexperienced, you don't have enough money, and it goes on and on. And it really comes down to something I would just call insufficiency on your part and on mine. Uh, There were a lot of people in the Bible that felt the same way that you and I do when God wants us to do something. Moses, Jeremiah, Jonah, and it goes on and on. Do you remember Moses? He's out in the desert. Sees the burning bush and he goes over to it and realizes that the bush continues to burn and doesn't burn up and something is going on and he goes over there and uh, the Lord tells him to get rid of his shoes. He's standing on holy ground and God began to speak with him. God wanted him to... to, uh, Go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And what does Moses do? Uh, You ought to find someone else, God. I can't talk. I'm no good at this. And he began to come up with one excuse after another before God. And you can go through the Bible, and it seems like there were problems with everyone that God would call on to do something for him. But here we are again right at the beginning. We have to have compassion. We have to feel sorry for the people. And we have to ask God to give us hearts of compassion. And again, I say, do you think he'll do that if you sincerely and genuinely ask him? Sure, he will. And once you do that, he's going to begin to give you a burden about something or someone And then the problems are going to rear up. And you're going to think, I can't do that. So having prayed for a heart of compassion and recognizing that there are going to be problems, you must reach the place where you're willing to give God what you do have. That's what God wants. That's what God is interested in He wants you to give him what you do have. Uh, Miracles happen in ministry when you quit talking about what you don't have and give God what you do have, even though it doesn't seem like very much. All miracles begin by by giving what you have to Jesus. And finally, we see something else happen. When Jesus has given the loaves in this account, that we read from Scripture. When he's given the loaves of bread and the fish, he blesses them, and then he breaks them. And he keeps on breaking and breaking and breaking. And that can make us a little bit uncomfortable, maybe a lot uncomfortable. Because we see Jesus, as he continued to break the pieces and pass them out to his disciples... And the disciples then pass them out to the people. There are two things about this part of the story that strike me. The miracle was in the breaking of the bread and the fish. Jesus kept breaking and handing the pieces out to the disciples to pass out to the people. And if you look back in Scripture, uh, if you look back in church history, even recent church history, 
you'll see that time and time and time again, God uses people that he has first broken. Jonah, Jeremiah, Moses, David, Joseph. Uh, Joseph, uh, you might say he was smashed and broken. And over the years I have watched men and women, part of the church, men and women completely sold out to Jesus Christ who had been broken, went through horrible times in their lives. And then God began to work miracles and use them to powerfully win men and women and boys and girls to the kingdom of God. I I, I was standing... over there in my pew this morning as we were singing and remembering one man that uh, I thought he was pretty effective for God. Uh, And yet he went through a time in his life where I wondered if he was ever going to recover. He came through that after a period of several years and God is using him more effectively than he ever did before to bring people to a place in their lives that have been transformed by God's grace and mercy. Uh, We don't like the thought of that. (laughs) We don't want to hurt. We don't want to be broken. But I wonder, do we sincerely want to be used by God to make a difference? Do you genuinely have compassion on the people around you? Do you want to truly be used by God to make a difference in this world in which you and I are living? Do you want to experience firsthand the miracle-working power of God in your life and in the lives of those around you? Then you must ask God for a heart of compassion. You must understand that will be followed by a burden And then the problems are going to come. But give what you have to God, no matter how little it may seem, and expect him to go to work. He will. And he will use you in ways that you would never have imagined. There will be some times when you're like that bread, and you'll be broken that your heavenly Father will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. We've heard that already expressed this morning. But I'm telling you, that's true. Never will he leave you. Never will he forsake you. Uh, Well, the second little thing that I pulled out of this last bit here was that Jesus used the disciples to do the work. They were the ones, really, that passed out all the food to the crowd. Do you think they were tired? Uh, Boy, if you had a bad back going into it, you're going to have a worse back coming out of it. Uh, Going through the crowd and passing out all of the bread and fish that Jesus was giving to them. Jesus didn't do that part of it, the passing out. 
Now, pastor, author, and teacher Warren Wiersbe stated, if God is going to do anything on this earth, he can only do it through God's people. I've had to chew on that a little bit and wondered if that was really true. And I haven't found it untrue yet. If God is going to do anything on this earth, he can only do it through God's people. We have to reach a place where we ask God for hearts of compassion. We have to see past the problems and give God what little we may have. And we must be willing to be broken and used by him. It's not what I don't have, Lord, but what I do have that I give to you. Two weeks from today is Serve Sunday. And some of you may have already decided that you would stay away that Sunday. You just don't see that you have anything in your makeup that would be of any value or could be of any help on that day. Oh, you think you, you, you think it's a pretty good deal. You're not against it. But you're thinking it's just not for you. I'm here to tell you that in one sense that's right, but you're wrong. Last week, Pastor Cliff told us how we could get ready for Serve Sunday. Number one, pray for the people we serve. Uh, We don't know who they are. We don't have faces yet on most of them. But begin to pray for those whom we will serve. Number two, pray that God will fill our hearts with love for our neighbors. Number three, Pray that God will reveal himself to our community through our acts of loving sacrifice. And then I never got Pastor Cliff's approval for this, but I added two more, and at least for this Sunday. And uh, number four, I would say, give God what little you have to be used by him. And number five, expect to see miracles. I believe we're going to see miracles. If you're willing to take these five steps, I'm convinced that you will experience God working in your own life in ways that you would never, ever have imagined this side of that last Sunday in September. So how are you going to respond? How will you respond? Pastor Cliff? Every time I get the chance to sit over there with my family and listen as Pastor Bill preaches, uh, it's a good day in my life. Because I know how he prepares himself and how he prepares a message, and those are two very different things. Um, Pastor Bill, the Holy Spirit was speaking to us today through you. I think he was speaking to you today, too. And I want to thank you for listening this week as he messed up your previous sermon that you had planned as he gave you this one. And thanks for uh, challenging us as well. Uh, 
Noah, Lisa, worship team, I want you guys to come up here, if you would. And Joel, will you sit in for me at base, please? And uh, Noah, I want, you to, I want you guys to do those last two songs that you did. We're going to receive Holy Communion together. I think it's a very fitting way for us to respond to what Pastor Bill spoke to us about this morning. First, let me tell you this. If you don't know uh, about Holy Communion, what you're about to see is one of the rituals of the church. But a lot of times when people say ritual, um, there's this negative uh, connotation with it of, oh, it's this high ceremony without a lot of meaning. And uh, let me just ask you to dismiss that thought for a moment and, and instead to think this. It is a high ceremony, but it has a lot of meaning to us. Because on the night before Jesus was crucified, in fact, just, just hours before he was arrested and then went through that whole, that whole torture scene that you're probably familiar with, um, he was having a meal with his friends, and it was a ceremonial meal. And he said, I, I want to take this, this old ceremony, I want to breathe some new life into it. And he took, he took bread, and, and he broke it. And he shared a piece of it with everybody in the room. And he said, I know it just looks like bread, but it symbolizes my body. Because what I'm about to do in offering myself up for the sacrifice of the sins of the whole world, it's, it's a breaking. And, and he, he tore that bread, and he handed it to everyone in the room, and he said, Every one of you eat it. And then he took a a cup of wine and he said, kind of looks like blood, doesn't it? And it represents my blood, which is about to be spilled. As a sacrifice that somehow then washes away the sins of everyone who dares to believe that God really does want to forgive. And he said, drink this, all of you. Listen, there was somebody in the room that he knew was getting ready to forsake him, to actually betray him for money to some people who were coming to arrest him. He also knew that the rest of the disciples, very soon, when the heat was turned up, were going to turn and run for their lives. He knew that Peter, when, when, when cornered a few hours later, was going to deny him. And yet he said to everyone in the room, eat this. Drink this. Take my life into you. And it's why in the Church of the Nazarene, we don't require you to have been baptized in our church or anywhere. We don't require you to have taken some class. We don't require you to have stood in front of a congregation somewhere and said, I'm already a follower of Jesus Christ. I know all the right Jesus answers. I've read the Bible eight times in order for you to participate with us. Because we keep hearing Jesus say to all of the broken, imperfect people, eat this, all of you, drink this, all of you. It's my life. And you want that, don't you? I think it's also important because in the way that we've come to observe this meal, we take little things. It is such an insignificant amount of bread and grape juice that you're about to drink that all it's going to do is make you hungrier and thirstier in terms of sheer volume. And that's like the little things, Pastor Bill, the little bit of strength, the little bit of talent, 
the little bit of energy, the little bit of faith that you called us this morning to bring an offer in service to the Lord. God can take those things and do mighty miracles like you talked about, just like he takes little bitty elements, little bitty pieces of bread and grape juice, and he gives great big grace to everybody who will bring tiny faith. Great big grace for tiny faith. Pretty good trade, isn't it? So this morning, um, Pastor Bill is going to come and and stand right over here. Pastor Aaron is going to stand right here. Instead of passing the elements to you where you're seated, we're going to ask you to come and and, and receive communion. And Pastor Dwayne is going to serve all those who who can't get up and come forward. So if you'll just catch his eye, he'll make sure that that he comes and serves you. We also understand uh, in this, these this day of allergies, um, that we have some, some folks who, who need gluten-free um, um, communion elements as well. And Pastor Dwayne, um, you've got those over there with you as well, okay? So let's just do this. Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray for just a moment. Worship team's going to sing. We'll worship along with them. We'll come forward. And um, just when, when you're at the front, take the bread, take the wine, Drink it right there, and um, you can even replace the cup in in the tray if you want to. But um, receive the blessing that comes from taking the little things and knowing that as you do, God goes big. And maybe what you need to do is to make a pledge that you'll bring your little things and give them to God and watch him do big things through you. Gracious Lord, thank you for providing for us. Thank you for this uh, little bitty meal that brings great big grace and forgiveness and great big possibilities for us. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for counting us worth it. And thank you for being willing to use us with uh, our, our weaknesses, inabilities, and flaws. Thank you that you never say no to anyone who volunteers. Thank you that you never say no to anyone who who asks for forgiveness and help. Thank you that your words echo in our hearts. Eat it, all of you. Drink it, all of you. Because your grace is for all of us. When you're ready to come and receive communion, You are welcome to do so.